It's a normal reaction. It's a very conserved response. We see it pretty much in all organisms, even in cells, in single-celled organisms. Yeah, it's an inevitable part of life. Whenever we can prevent what we call excessive or chronic and persistent stress, then we should. But in many cases, it's not possible to avoid it. But what we want to do is to teach the individuals how to best deal with it. That's right, everyone gets stressed. Kids, traffic, jobs, whatever it is, we all have stressors. For many students, one of those stressors are exams. At the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, final exams begin December 6th. Welcome to Well Said, Carolina's official storytelling podcast. On today's episode, we're talking about stress with Anthony Zanis. He's an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry in the School of Medicine, and he studies how our genes interact with stressors and what that means for our physical health. In many cases, it is a very good response for survival. You know, it's a response that you need to survive when your life is threatened. You need to have this uh, hyper-arousal and take action, immediate action. Now, one difficulty that we have to face is that we have this conserved mechanism, conserved response of how we respond to stress, but our life is not on a day-to-day basis threatened but we get this constant chronic low-level stress, which can become problematic. No one uh, can escape from it, and we have to learn ways to deal with it. Problematic because stress negatively affects our health, from low-level stressors to long-term burnout. There are very profound changes, including increase in blood pressure, increase in heart rate, and this is part of the adrenaline response. You know, adrenaline goes high or another similar chemical called noradrenaline. There are also many hormonal changes at the time of stress. One very well-known hormone that we know increases after stress is called cortisol. And this we can see in the blood of individuals that are exposed to stress, but also in many other parts of the body. Sometimes in short term, we see this hyperactivity, high levels of cortisol, high blood pressure, high heart rate. But in the long run, many times what you see in individuals that have been exposed to chronic stress, especially, is a decreased response to stress. We can think of it as a burnout of the stress system. So these individuals cannot respond anymore to stress. Cortisol is a steroid hormone that is crucial to maintaining health and balance in the body. Think of cortisol as the body's built-in alarm system. It's the fight-or-flight hormone, which is great for life-or-death situations, but not so great when worried about work or an exam. Cortisol goes up when we're exposed to stress. It's a very acute response. Immediately after exposure to stress, within a few minutes, we can detect this increase in cortisol in the blood. We see very different responses across individuals. So some will have a much higher increase in cortisol, some will have less, some will have even no increase in cortisol. A big part of that is how the brain uh, interprets the exposure to stress because the whole cascade that leads to release of cortisol starts at the level of the brain. So there's something detected in the brain, a stressor, by our uh, emotional centers in the brain. This leads to a hormonal cascade that in the end leads to exposure to cortisol. So if we could train the brain on how to interpret these stressful experiences, we might be able to dampen the increase in cortisol or other hormones that we detect in the blood and the other uh, parts of our body. That's what Anthony's trying to do. His lab's research focuses on something called epigenetics, which is the study of biological mechanisms that switch genes on and off. 
This can help predict how your body will respond to stress based on your genetics. It's uh, something related to genetics, but a little bit different. And the term is Greek term, comes from the combination of the prefix epi, which in Greek means on top of, and genetics. So with epigenetics, you don't change the sequence of the genes. The sequence of the genes is the same. This is what we're born with, pretty much. But we change some chemicals that are on top of DNA. Those chemical changes will determine whether the genes will be active or not. So it's like a set of chemical switches, or you can think of it as a very complex set of chemical rheostats that will fine-tune how the genes will work. And this will affect how cells work, and how our bodies work. And this is part of where epigenetics might help, because if we can detect these epigenetic changes that happen in response to stress early on, before we even have the development of these uh, disorders, then we might have a chance of intervening, targeting those individuals earlier. Basically, some people are genetically predisposed to be more stressed. Predicting their responses to stressors can help them deal with their stress in a healthier way, which is critical to overall health. We are interested in many different types of disease that are related to stress, not only psychiatric disorders, but also, for example, individuals that are stressed chronically have been shown to age faster. We're interested in this connection between stress and aging, and this can lead to other diseases like cancer, like cardiovascular disease, which are all related to aging and stress. You see that already in works of fiction, you know, you see characters that are exposed to stress and they appear to age very fast. Like within the course of an hour of being through a very extreme stressor, their hair has become gray, they have wrinkles and so on. But we also see it in the clinic. We see patients that have been through a very extreme stress. They present with gray hair and then there is a recovery as well. You can see this gray hair going away. So this is the good news. We learn more and more that actually not all of these uh, effects on aging are irreversible. Think of the pictures of presidents before and after their terms. The gray hair and the wrinkles, those were most likely caused by stress. But the good news is that some effects of stress are reversible, and there are effective solutions. Exercise, for example, has this effect, and there are some studies showing that just reading a book and being able to really concentrate on the book after six minutes or so you can see a decrease in the heart rate and blood pressure of the individual. One good thing is to get a little bit disconnected when you exercise, like let the cell phone go, pay attention to your body more, because you also do better exercise if you are really focused in the moment. We can very broadly say that there are good types of stress and bad types of stress. Short duration of stress is actually a good thing, as long as it's not a very, very extreme thing makes us better. It's again uh, important for survival. Immediately when we exercise, we have hyperactivation of the stress response, among other changes that happen when we're exercising. Then following that phase of exercising, actually we have release of other substances that are very beneficial. For example, they are called endorphins. It's a similar thing like morphine, and those help us relax. And if that doesn't work, then we can go to different levels of intervention like meditation, like psychotherapy. Basically, the individual is coached by a psychotherapist to learn different ways to cope with stress. And these medications help sort of create the right environment for the neuronal cells to recover from the stress. With the medications, we change the chemicals in the brain and we give the opportunity to the brain to recover from this stress.
Another part of managing stress is knowing yourself and your body. The most important thing is to take care of themselves. Each of us knows or are learning about ourselves and what makes us feel better. One thing I want to make clear is that we don't want to avoid stress. There are certain things in life that we have to come in terms with, that we have to face. There are many studies showing that the more you avoid a stressful situation, the more stressful it will become when you actually face it. This is something called in psychology and psychiatry avoidance of a situation. I would recommend not avoiding but facing the situation and finding ways to take care of ourselves. There are simple things like a healthy diet definitely plays a role in better regulating all these stress responses, exercising regularly, having enough time to sleep. Sleep is a big factor as well. Friends and social support is uh, very important. Stress is a part of life. So the next time you have a big meeting or find yourself in the middle of finals, take a deep breath, get some sleep, and hang out with friends. Whenever we can prevent what we call let's say, excessive or uh, chronic and persistent stress, then we should. But in many cases, it's not possible to avoid it. But what we want to do is to teach the individuals how to best deal with it. Part of that is going through life and learning from experience to experience, you know, how to cope with these situations. Some of us are lucky and able to learn it. Someone can see it as a work in progress for everyone. But some are not able to do that. And in those cases, we have to propose other solutions. If you want more information about stress and how it interacts with the body or Anthony's lab, you can find that on the School of Medicine's website, med.unc.edu. They're looking for volunteers interested in the field. And if you're looking for resources to help handle stress, you can find them at campushealth.unc.edu. Thank you for listening to this episode of Well Said. See you next week.